You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. And parents, also a reminder that today's topic, Paul is going to be talking about our physical adult relationships. And so we will be very tactful. Uh, We will not be explicit. I would give it a very mild PG-13 rating, but uh, that may influence your decision of whether to keep your kids in here or send them off. And so if that, parents, hear me out. If that's not right for your kids, then please feel free uh, to step out. That is no problem uh, at all. And again, thank you to our worship team. Guys, I really want to commend our worship team. It is a challenge to, to learn to play with different worship leaders. And we've had this rotation and we're thankful that God's provided in this way, but it has provided uh, an uh, extra challenge for them. So can we say thank you to them real quick? Thank you to our worship team. We appreciate you guys. Uh, Well, hey, if you walked in today, especially if you got a little bit of the rain, it seems like the day we've been waiting for in my home maybe has finally happened. Maybe it's finally fall. We've been waiting and waiting for the cooler weather. Y'all, I love fall. It's my favorite time of year. And y'all, our favorite thing, one of our favorite things we like to do in the fall is build a fire. If my wife had her druthers, man, we would have a fire going in our fireplace 24-7, nonstop. We love being able to build a fire. Now, my wife, sometimes she accuses me of being overzealous. It happens to be a very accurate uh, accusation. Uh, so what if, y'all, because we love fire so much, I got a little overzealous and said, you know what, a little fire is good in there, but you know what would be even better? Fire everywhere. I love fire so much, let's just put it all over our house. Well, that would be destructive, wouldn't it? Or what if, you know, I was just a little casual about fire? I mean, you know, just leave it burning all night. Who cares? It's just a fire. Everyone has them. It's no big deal. We don't even have to worry about it. Well, that could get destructive too, couldn't it? Did you know that more than any other analogy in the Bible, the Bible says sex is a fire. That's the image. That's the analogy that it gives it over and over again because it's something that is great in the right context and can be very destructive in the wrong context. We know we've already heard in the Corinthian church, Casey Rivers did a great job teaching this part of chapter 5, that sex is raging out of control in the Corinthian church. It's gotten to be a problem. So much so that he says, guys, y'all are doing things that even the pagans don't do. I mean, you're giving them a run for their money. And so what Paul's going to do today is give us a theology, y'all, not just of sex, but of our bodies. Our physical bodies, our physical selves. And let me tell you, what he says was countercultural then, and it is countercultural today. And we're going to follow our three steps. Let's remind ourselves of our three steps as Paul talks about these specific issues. The first step is the local problem. And this is the part that was specific to them. And so we've got some work to do. Paul is thinking about specific situations, specific people, and we've got to figure out what those specifics are before we just read a verse and say, well, this is what I think it means and what it means for me. So there's the local problem specific to them. But then with every local problem, today's no exception, he's going to apply some universal theology. And this is stuff that's true for in all times, all places, for all the people of God. This is stuff we can say, yes, absolutely, this is for us. 
But then the third step is he connects those dots to universal theology, to the local problem. And this is the part that we have to adapt. So there's a few things that we can just copy and paste. Oh, it applies to us in the exact same way. But y'all, most things we're going to have to say, you know, it applies to us. Absolutely, there's application to us. But because our culture is different in this way and that way, we got to do some work to adapt it for us. So we're going to follow those three steps, the local problem, the universal theology, and then the application to arrive at our big idea today. Here's Paul's big idea. Your body matters. Your body matters. Just like your soul, just like your personality, just like your spirit, your body matters to God. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's start in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So let's examine the local problem. We know the local, local problem is sexual immorality in the church. And we've said this a few times, the Corinthian culture, y'all, it's like us, but more. I mean, we, there's a lot of similarities, but they just crank up the intensity on some things. And this is no exception. They were a very promiscuous culture. So sex outside of marriage was very normal. In fact, in a lot of circles, it was expected. Marriage was meant more for social status and building a great family name. They had lots of different religions that used sex to worship their gods. The biggest one was a temple to Aphrodite. Y'all, in that temple, at any given time, there were up to a thousand temple prostitutes just in that one temple. And there were many, many others. Y'all, if we, were, if we lived there, we would probably turn red just going to dinner at people's houses because we would say something like, oh, could you pass that pitcher of water? And on that pitcher would be explicit, explicit images of sex just right on the water pitcher. It was just casual. And so what Paul does is he quotes some of their slogans and he's going to examine their worldview and their way of thinking behind what was normal in their society. Just like today, we have slogans. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And you may interject, well, but, you know, viruses come home with you. You may want to know that. That's what Paul's going to do. He's going to quote their slogan, but then correct it. And then say, well, before you go saying that, you may want to think about this here. So the first one he quotes is, all things are lawful for me. The operative phrase in that, in that phrase is, for me. I'm in charge. I get to pick what's good for me and for my body. And so these group of Christians, they had heard the good news that we're no longer under the law. We're not enslaved to the law. We're not saved by the law. So they had twisted that, though, then to say, oh, well, then I'm the master and commander of my own ship. I, I can do whatever I want. 
Y'all, this is just like our culture. I decide what's good for me. Think about it. When it comes to sex, there's not a lot everyone in our culture would agree with, but there is one principle that everyone in our culture would say is good when it comes to sex. In fact, a lot of people tell you it's the only principle that we should go by. Consent. Consent. If I say it's good for me, then that's it. It's good. And I get to decide. Well, y'all hear me? Consent is very important. It's a big part of the deal. But it is literally the least we can do. It is literally the lowest moral bar you can set for your body. What that is, it's a culture saying, hey, here's the easiest and cheapest way for me to gain pleasure when I want it. And Paul's response is what he's going to do throughout this passage. He's encouraging them to have a higher value for themselves and their bodies. To not say, hey, what's the lowest common denominator? But no, how can we revere it? How can we have the highest value for it? I like what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller said, it's not that sex outside of marriage is a sin because sex is bad. It's because sex is so good. So he corrects them. He says, okay, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is helpful. Or some translations say beneficial. That word, it means advantageous, useful, beneficial. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, we know this about everything else. If every time my body wants a donut, I go get a donut, that will not be beneficial for me. This has happened, case in point, right? I had a doctor's appointment that last week didn't go so great. Think about, think about your car, okay? You got a car. You know that maintenance schedule that nobody pays attention to and nobody looks at, right? There's some things on there that are important. Things like getting an oil change. Your car was designed to need oil. And the Corinthians are essentially doing the equivalent of like, well, I'm so free, I don't need oil. It's going to be destructive, isn't it? So your car and everything else in the physical world Okay, if you use it according to its design, that's freedom. If you use it against its design, that's destructive. That's not freedom. Y'all, it is the same with sex. God gave you a body and designed it a specific way. And so sex is not just about consent, but design. What's good for sex isn't just, is it okay for me? It's, is it according to its design? So what is good for your body is using it how it is intended to be used. That's how everything else in our physical world works. So that's the first thing. The second correction he gives him, he says, okay, yeah, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Paul points out your appetites, unregulated, will lead you into slavery, not freedom. See, they, they were boasting about their freedom, but they were actually losing their freedom. And that's true of us. And that's true of our culture. Y'all, almost everything the world uses to display our freedom, we're actually enslaved to, aren't we? See, if if my life is simply about gratifying my desires, then I'm enslaved to my desires. The desires are in the driver's seat, not me. Y'all, and we know how this works. We know how this works with everything else. The more we feed our appetites, the bigger they get, not smaller, right? Right? Isn't that how it works? Y'all, this is how it works with the food we eat. 
This is the dynamic behind uh, social media and the skyrocketing rates of depression. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've heard say something along the lines of, I know I'd be happier, happier without it. I wish I could just get rid of it, but I can't. I just got to keep going back to it. Y'all, that's slavery. That's not freedom. And this is how our bodies work with sex. Did you know our bodies react to sex the same way they do to heroin? Now, no one would look at a heroin addict and say, they're so free, right? You have to know that God designed you to control your appetites, not for them to control you. And so what makes sex good is not just consent, but lordship. It's when our desires are controlled and directed by someone who's in charge. The next thing he quotes is the saying, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. They say that all the time. Now, a lot of translations in the quote, put the last quotation mark after that. I think, so in the original language, there are no quotation marks. So we're, we kind of have to guess where they go. I think really the quotation goes all the way past where he says, but God will destroy them both. Because in the context, that fits perfectly with their Gnostic dualism point of view. It separated everybody and everything between the physical and the spiritual. And said, spiritual good, spiritual eternal, eternal physical, bad, meaningless, not important. And so they looked at their bodies like, hey, it's just some kind of like meat suit that I, the real me is wearing for a little while, but I'll ditch it eventually. So when they talk about food for the stomach, some of the food, guys, this is a euphemism, okay? They're actually talking about sex. And they're saying, hey, just like my body craves food when I'm hungry, I eat. I eat. Well, when I lust, I satisfy that appetite. It's, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter. They're saying my, the real me, the spiritual life, is only spiritual. It has nothing to do with that physical, material stuff. And again, guys, isn't this just like our culture? Absolutely. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, it's just sex. It's just sex. It's no big deal. But look at Paul's response. And y'all, this, I'm telling you, this will change your life. He says, the body was made for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Think about this. Y'all, we, we don't naturally think this way. Just as much as your soul, your spirit, your personality, your emotions, your body is just as much part of an, a, a meaningful, intimate, powerful relationship with the Lord. It's part of your relationship with your creator. Your, your fingernails, your eyebrows, your elbows were made to be in a relationship with God. You simply cannot truly believe that and then say, well, it's just sex. See, in the Christian worldview, you, sit, you simply cannot value someone's soul without having equal value for their body. They go together. You can't separate them. It's on the same level. It's all created by God. It's all meant for God. But when it came to their physical body, the, the Corinthians are essentially, they got this precious diamond that they're selling for cheap in the dollar store. And Paul's saying, you, no, you need to raise the price tag on that. That is way more valuable than you're giving it credit for. It was meant for the Lord. 
So these are the two destructive fallacies in the local problem. I decide what's good for my body, and my body doesn't really matter. It's not that important. Paul's saying, er, wrong answer. You must use your body according to its design and not be enslaved by its appetites, and it's time to have a higher value for your body. But what's the theology underneath that? I mean, are these just Paul's opinions? Or, or is this what God's word really says? So now he's going to go into the, our second step, the theological foundation. Y'all, and he's going to point, point to three core truths. Okay, this is not some extra bonus, you know, seminary level. These are three true core truths of the Christian faith. He's going to point to creation. He's going to point to our union with God, our relationship with God. And he's going to point to the resurrection. Now, these are vital truths. So in verse 15 through 20, he's going to essentially give us three facts about the physical world that God teaches and point to those parts of theology. The first one is this. God has a purpose for your body. You got to know that. I hope you know that. God has a purpose for your body. And the evidence of that is the resurrection. You see, the gospel isn't just that Jesus died on the cross. He also rose again physically from the grave. And that's because he has a purpose for our physical bodies and for all of the physical creation. It will all be redeemed. And the resurrection was, in, was the first fruits of that. And so it's not just about sex. It's about how you understand God's plan for your physical body and for all of creation. If my body is included in God's eternal kingdom, then my body matters. Your body matters. It will all be redeemed one day and be a part of his eternal kingdom. The second fact he tells us is this. Sex is a unique bridge between the physical and the spiritual. By God's design, by his creation, it is unique in its connection between the physical and the spiritual. And to prove this, he goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation, all the way back to the reason and purpose sex was invented. He talks about, you know, when Adam and Eve came along and he said, the two will become one flesh. And what he's saying there is, in sex, we become one, our whole person, with another whole person, both physically and spiritually, both body and soul. See, when he says, when he says this thing, one flesh, or even when he talks about being in our body, back then they didn't separate the different parts of ourselves like we do back in the Old Testament language. They, they saw us as a whole person. So he's not just talking about, when he says the two become one, he's not just talking about skin touching. In fact, that would be totally, that would be nonsensical. That would be redundant based on what he says here. So if that were true, if he meant just our, our physical skin touching, it'd be like he's saying, you know, when a person is physically joined to a prostitute, well, you know he's physically joined to her. Well, well, yeah, Paul, you just said that. You're, you're repeating yourself. So what he's actually saying is when our bodies are joined in sex, our entire personhood is coming together. It's an all-in type of thing. And so the same way when the Bible uses that term body, it doesn't just mean physical tissue. It means the whole person, the total package. So you can think about elsewhere, you know, when God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, hold on. The spirit is not physical. So 
How can he pour like water on my skin? Because flesh, it's not just our skin. He's saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all types of human beings, of persons. And so to say the two will become one flesh is another way of saying one whole person unites with another whole person. The commentator F.F. Bruce, I think he said it well, he says, Paul displays a psychological insight into human sexuality, which is altogether exceptional by first century standards. So no one back in these days was talking like this. The Bible revolutionized, I would say for the better, how we view sex. He says that it is an act which engages and expresses the whole personality in such a way as to constitute a unique mode of self-disclosure and self-commitment. That's the way God created sex, a unique mode of self-disclosure and self-commitment. Y'all, that's not the message that, that the Christians have always preached. Let's say it that way. But you need to know, listen, sex is not, it's not just some dirty but necessary method of procreation. But you know what? It's also not just a form of self-gratification or self-expression. It is the way God designed for you to give your whole self to someone else's whole self. What an amazing thing. And he grounds this again also, y'all, not just in our relationships with each other, but in our union with God, in our relationship with God. He says, verse 19, right now today, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What's the temple? It's the place where God and man can dwell together, right? And so he says, right now, you are one with God physically and spiritually. Your whole self, your body included. You know, this, this part will blow your mind, okay? He uses the same word. So he uses the same word, joined is the word, to describe both our union with God in verse 17 and being joined with a prostitute in verse 16. The same word. What's he saying there? Why is he doing it? He's saying sex mirrors our union with God. What we do with each other mirrors our union with God. It joins the whole person and unites them in a way that transforms them. So listen, as a Christian, you cannot pretend that sex is just a physical action that doesn't also have spiritual and relational implications of the highest magnitude. That's what he says in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, listen, guys, sex is a little different. He says, you know, every other sin you commit outside the body, but, but sex, you sin against your own body. And again, he's not just talking about skin. He's talking about your whole self. Otherwise, you could say, well, violence is against your body. Gluttony is against your body, right? But he's talking about your whole person, your whole united self. He's saying there, there's nothing else that involves all of us the way sex does. Everything we are. With sex, we are all in. We give all of ourselves away. So listen, you, you know this. You were never meant to give yourself away physically without also giving away yourself spiritually. In fact, he's saying, you can't. It's impossible. Lewis Meads, a Christian theologian, I think he put it really well when he wrote, there is no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual people are about it. What we do with our bodies, 
we do with ourselves. What we do with our bodies, we do with ourselves. Men and women, your body matters because it's a part of who you are, because it's connected to your soul. It matters every bit as much as all the rest of you matters. And that's why no one actually believes it's just sex. No one really believes it. Everybody says it. A lot of people say it, but no one actually believes it. Everyone, even if you're not spiritual, even if you're not religious, everyone knows the deep emotions, the life-altering consequences of sex, don't we? Every scientific study, even if it's not faith-based, will tell you that sex forms deep emotional bonds with that person and makes it harder to form emotional bonds with other people. And you know what? If it's just sex, then why does the most destructive and profound trauma we can experience come when it's abused? If it's just sex, why do people's biggest regrets involve sex? You know what? If it's just sex, why are some of our biggest industries all centered around making our bodies attractive? I mean, we spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year in this country And is it really just because what we do with our physical bodies is inconsequential, has no impact on our mental, spiritual, and emotional lives? Not for a second. And you know, if if it's just sex, I would ask why every company uses it to sell its products. You know, everybody, everybody knows that we buy things with our emotions. We are emotional buyers. So what's the fastest route? If you got 30 seconds to reach someone's emotions, what's the fastest route there? Sex. So they'll gladly, every company will gladly spend untold amounts of money using sex to reach your emotional life. They know. They know it's not just sex. We have to know a Christian perspective on sex. And the Christian perspective on sex is this. Sex is an amazing, beautiful, spiritual, profound thing that God has given us. And it is meant to be used in a marriage covenant where a man and a woman have covenanted to unite all of themselves together. So as Christians, we don't use people's bodies without covenanting with their souls because that's what it was designed for. Third fact, he tells us, based in theology, about our physical bodies. And this, by far, is going to be the least popular today. Your body is not yours. Your body, like your whole self, doesn't just belong to you. And once again, this is one where the secular world is going to react strongly against when this one, and they're going to do it pretending they have a higher value for people, when actually the opposite is true. Actually, without this, you have a much lower value with people. And this is the only way you can have the highest value for people possible. So he he explains this. Why aren't aren't you your own? He says, you were bought. Y'all, this is slave trade language. He's saying you were enslaved. That's where you were. That's the default. But someone else paid the price to set you free. So before, when you were saying, hey, my body is mine, I can do whatever I want to with it, that's when you were in slavery. You were in slavery to your own appetites. But God bought you out of that slavery. He says, with a price. What was the price? Of course, here he's talking about the cross. He's been talking about the cross till he's blue in the face all throughout 
this book, the cost was the life of God's own son. Y'all, there is no higher price. And the last time I checked, you showed how valuable something was by the price you were willing to pay for it. God was willing to pay the highest possible price. So what does that say about his value for you? Because of what God did, he's saying, you belong to God. And our culture will hate this message, but it's actually, men and women, it is actually our deepest desire. Because listen, even if you have a negative reaction against that and you say, I'm, I'm independent, nobody owns me, I don't belong to anybody else, you betrayed yourself back in elementary school when it was time to pick the kickball teams. And you got two team captains and they're picking teams. What, the only thing you want is for them to pick you first and not get picked last, right? That's our deepest desire, to be wanted, to be picked. And every psychologist will tell you, we really, are, we have two deepest desires. Our deepest desires are these, to be fully known and to be fully loved. Which, by the way, is why sex is so powerful. You are fully known, fully exposed, and fully loved by another person. And so what Paul is saying here is, the God of the universe says, I know you better than anybody. I created you. I know you better than you know yourself. I know you completely. And I love you so much, I won't even spare my own son for you. So this is marriage language that he uses. Think about what happens in a marriage. And, a ha- and what happens in a marriage is everything I have becomes yours and everything you have becomes mine. Well, in Ephesians, Paul says marriage was actually created as a picture of the gospel, as a picture of our relationship with God. So what happens when we become a believer, when we follow Jesus Christ? Well, everything we have becomes his. Our sin, our shame, our guilt. But you know what? Everything that's his becomes ours. His perfect righteousness. The righteousness of God, Paul says. So we have a place in his kingdom. We have a seat at the family table because we are married to him. Men and women, you were created to be fully known and fully loved and you cannot meet those needs by yourself. But Paul is saying here, God does it. God fully knows you. God fully loves you. Your body, like your soul, belongs to God. And this is the best news you could ever hear. So three theological truths. God has a purpose for your body. Sex is a bridge between the physical and the spiritual. And your body belongs to God. All tell us, all three of those tell us, your body matters. Probably more than you ever thought it did. Step three, how do we apply these? How does he connect those dots for us? He's going to tell them two things. And these are one of the things that, y'all, it pretty much applies to us in pretty much the exact same way. First thing he says, flee sexual immorality. Now, first, let's be clear about what he's talking about because it's one of those things in more modern times, people like to twist what he's saying and play games with what he's saying. A lot of people may say, well, no, he's just talking about adultery. So if you're married or having sex with someone else who's married, that's all he's talking about. Y'all, that's not what he's talking about. The word he uses means specifically to have sex with somebody you aren't married to. If he just meant adultery, there's other words that he could have used if that's what it meant, but that's not what he used. He used the word that meant any sex to somebody you are not married to. What's interesting about this is, y'all, 
other temptations throughout the Bible, God tells us to endure or to bear up under, but not sex, not this one. He says, flee from it. Martin Luther said about this, hey, if your head is made of butter, stay away from the fire. What Paul is saying here is when it comes to sex, all our heads are made out of butter, okay? We need to stay away from that fire. He doesn't say trust your willpower. He doesn't say promise to try harder. He says, don't put yourself in those situations. So don't be alone at night. Put a filter on your computer. Stay away from anything that can make you sin sexually. Why? Because our appetites will enslave us. And because God made sex very powerful, like fire. It has the power to not unite your whole being in a transformative way to another person. It was made to meet your deepest desires. So it is strong. It is powerful. Or, he says, out of control, it has the power to make us sin against three people, he says. It has the power to fracture the most important relationships in your life. He says it makes you sin against the other person because you're essentially treating them like food, just there to appease an appetite. He says you sin against yourself because now you're living outside of your design. And he says you're sinning against God because you're saying, oh, no thanks, I don't want to be married to you. I'd rather just go do whatever I want, God. So he says, flee sexual immorality. Second thing he says, honor God with your body. Honor him. Listen, you cannot be the center of your own physical life. The defining question in our culture right now today is who do you belong to? Who gets to decide what's true about your body? Who gets to decide what you do with it? And most of our culture will answer that by saying, me, I'm in charge, I'm in control. And that sounds great, it sounds wonderful, but y'all, that is what is responsible. I'm telling you, for 90% of the depression and anxiety and hopelessness in our culture, you make a terrible God for yourself. And our culture is filled with people who are being crushed under the weight of trying to be their own God. You know what the biggest problem with that? The biggest problem with trying to be your own God you change. You'll change all the time. You know what? When I was eight years old, you know what I wanted to do with my body when I was eight years old? Wrestle. I wanted to join the WWE. I wanted to do the gorilla slam like the ultimate warrior, the big leg drop like Hulk Hogan. That's what I wanted to do with my body when I was eight. So right now, to 40-year-old Clint, nothing sounds worse. To put on a Speedo and go wrestle some really strong, steroided out dudes? No thanks. And do it in front of thousands of people? My goodness. It's horrifying. I've changed a lot over the past 30 years. And you know what? I'm going to change a lot over the next 30 years. So will you. And so when you make decisions about sex based solely on what you want to do with your body today, listen, you're going to make some big mistakes. No, no. The best thing you can do with your body, the Bible says, is to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Present yourself to God. This word, when he says honor your God, this means worship, exalt, praise magnify, just like we were doing in the songs we sang earlier, exactly the same way. See, your body matters because you worship God with it. 
You were using those vocal cords to sing his praises earlier. And listen, every, so every time you live according to your design, you worship God. Every time you live according to your own desires, you worship yourself. Because you're saying, God doesn't know what he's doing. He's designing me. I, I'm, the, I'm in control here. So, question. If the only hymn book you had was your physical body, whose praises are you singing? The one who created you? Or are you making a God out of yourself? I hope you see this morning. The Bible has the highest possible view of sex because it says, more than any other worldview says, it says your body matters because you matter. It says other people's body matter because they matter. And the Bible's view of sex even says that ultimately it is worship. But, God, I can't help but realize, you know, there's probably some people here this morning who say, man, this is a great message, but about 15 years too late. I wish I'd have known this several years ago, but too late now. That's you this morning. I want you to take heart from 1 Corinthians. And it's not just 1 Corinthians. You'll see it all over the Bible, y'all. A huge portion of the New Testament church was made up of people with very complicated sexual pasts who had to relearn, had to learn a new way to honor God with their body. And they were still learning clearly as Paul's writing here. And yet, Paul calls them brothers and sisters. Paul calls them saints repeatedly. So you need to know, when it comes to it, you need to know there's a second lie that the enemy will give you. The first lie Satan will tell you is, hey, it's just sex, do whatever you want. But after that lie is exposed, he'll tell you a second lie, which is you're tarnished forever. It's too late. I don't want you to believe the first lie. I don't want you to believe the second lie either. I want you to know this morning, there is more forgiveness in Jesus than there is sin in you. And when God paid the highest possible price for you, he didn't love some future version of you that finally gets your act together, that finally stops struggling with some temptation or, or finally stops sinning. No, he loves you right where you are today. God wants to covenant with you now, your mind, your body, your soul, all of you. And he gave his life for you just like you are today. Probably the most powerful picture of the gospel I know of in the Old Testament comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet from God and, and God told Hosea, I want you to go marry that prostitute over there named Gomer. So he goes and he marries Gomer and you know what? Gomer goes from bad to worse. She cheats on him constantly. She betrays him. She leaves him. She breaks his heart. She ends up as just a temple prostitute. And so God talks to Hosea, he tells Hosea, I want you to go to that temple and your spouse that betrayed you, that was unfaithful, that chased every man in town, I want you to go to her and I want you to buy her back. I want you to buy her back and I want you to bring her home. And this God is giving us is a picture of Jesus that despite our wayward hearts, despite us leaving him and us chasing other gods, he came to earth, he died on the cross, he rose again to buy us back and to bring us home. So you, in your seats right there, at any point, you can wake up in the middle of your own mess and you can look at the cross and you, you know what you'll see? 
you'll see a God who says, I love you more than you'll ever know. Let's go home. The invitation for you this morning, listen to me, the invitation for you is not stop sinning, promise you'll never mess up again, rid yourself of some temptation. The invitation for you this morning is to have a relationship with Jesus, to belong to him. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.